Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm, champ, Psalms chapter 21 through 25. I don't know why I've done that several times here in the series. I've called it Psalm instead of Psalms. But it, when you're referring to multiple of them, you need to have that S on the end of that word. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we're going to be looking at, at Psalms chapters 21 through 25. And this, of course, uh, is, a once again, another great set of Psalms here. And I hope that uh, you've been able to continue and to keep up with this scripture reading through the book or through the month of June as we're going through the book of Psalms. I, I just really think this is going to be quite the blessing, especially with all, everything that's going on in the world. Uh, the book of Psalms just has an incredible way of going and refocusing your heart and your mind uh, back on God and who he is and the awesomeness of him. And just how incredible he is. And I think that so many times, especially when our world gets crazy and starts moving really fast, we need to stop and just put our eyes back on God. And of course, the book of Psalms really does that. But in this set of scripture here, verse or chapters 21 through 25, of course, you have the hallmark chapter of Psalm chapter 23, and we I've done a series through Psalm chapter 23, so we're not going to go into Psalm chapter 23 today, uh, but I would encourage you to go and to check out Psalm chapter 23. Uh, you can find that um, either on iTunes or Spotify, or you can go over to the Substack, which is shoutofgrace.substack.com. Uh, once again, that's shoutofgrace.substack.com. And uh, there you can find uh, all the articles and um, everything else that that have been putting out and all the other um, podcasts if you want to go back and listen to them. Um, and it's it, hopefully it becomes uh, just kind of a, a hub of a lot of stuff that uh, is encouraging and is edifying there at the same time. But today we're going to be looking at chapters 21 and chapter 24, and we're specifically going to be looking at chapter 24, but we're going to also read chapter 21. So if you'd follow along as I read Psalm chapter 21 and then read Psalm chapter 24, it says this, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and he has not withheld the request of his lips, Selah. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Uh, his glory is great in your salvation, honor and majesty you have placed upon him, for you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence, for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men, for they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their, their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their face. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. 
And I, I just really like that last verse here. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. I hope that's the heart cry of your life, uh, is that we want to see God exalted in his own strength. You know, so many times uh, throughout Scripture, that means he takes somebody who is of the lowest of low, and he exalts them for his purpose. And, uh, you know, whether that's Gideon, who is, uh, you know, in the uh, the wine press going and threshing wheat, which is the last place you'd want to be threshing wheat. And then what is what does God go and say? He sends an angel there to say, you know, mighty man. And and I mean here Gideon's going like, what are you talking about? I'm of the lowest tribe. I'm I'm the the, the youngest. I'm I'm all this kind of stuff. But but God had an incredible plan for his life. And and you know God has an incredible plan for your life as well. That's the the idea here of shouts of grace is that you realize that you that that God has a plan for your life, that your life has a purpose. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us this, that he has good works uh, prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. But but he also went in the Old Testament and he told Zerubbabel, the one who he gave a task to complete the temple of God after it had been destroyed. And, and, and he had laid a foundation, then he came into opposition. And then God goes and he, and he says, you will complete it, Zerubbabel, but you'll complete it with a shout of grace. And so in order to complete the life's work that you have, I believe you need a shout of grace in your life. But we're going to be focusing in on Psalm chapter 24 today, so let's read Psalm chapter 24, and it says this, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O you gates, lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. Now, I want you to remember back here to uh, two days ago when we went over Psalm chapter 15. And if you didn't listen to that one, I would really suggest you go and you listen to Psalm chapter 15 because we talked about God's holy hill and having uh, re really a, a uh, relationship there with God to, to being in his presence, to being near and dear to his heart. And it had some requirements there for you to have. And it, it can kind of touches on this again here in verses uh, 3 um, and four, when it goes and it says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Once again, God's hill is holy. Uh, or who may stand in his holy place? There you go. The hill of the Lord, his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Then in verse five, it says, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from uh, the God of his salvation. Now, I, I want you to realize a few things here when we look at this. First of all, in order to have an intimate relationship with God, there are requirements for you to have. 
You know, so many people just go and they say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to be close to God. I'm going to know the heart of God. I'm going to be right there next to God. And I should know God's will for my life. But then they live their life however they want, and they don't meet the qualifications. They don't meet what God states. And what does he say here? He has a clean hands and a pure heart. What's that saying? Don't be doing outward sins and don't be doing inward sins, right? That That's pretty simple right there. And then also, uh, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. So that means God has to be number one in your life. If God is not number one, you have an idol in your life. Anytime you put anything above God, that is an idol. Then again, it goes and it says, nor sworn deceitfully. So you have to be somebody who tells the truth, has the right priorities, and is not sinning uh, outwardly or inwardly. Now, of course, I understand that we do sin. We continue to have a sin nature, and we are going to continue to sin while we're on this earth. I understand that. But this is looking at the idea of a habitual lifestyle of a sin. Do you continually have dirty hands before God? Are you continually doing outward sins, sins of the flesh? Are you continually doing inward sins? Do you have a sin that continually reoccurs itself, that comes back over and over and over again in your life? Because if you have that, the reality of it is, is that you are not going to have a close, intimate relationship with God. And if you're not having a close, intimate relationship with God, let me tell you another obvious implication here. That is, you're not going to know the will of God. The only way to know the will of God is to be near to the heart of God. And to be near to the heart of God, it means you have to be on his holy hill. So you need to meet these qualifications. But speaking of hills, of course, hills, their land, we find something interesting in verse uh, 1 and 2. It says this, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Now, verse 2, and I know I'm working backwards here just a little bit, but, but bear with me. Verse 2 is uh, important to understand because it alludes to the fact that God is the creator uh, of the world, which means that he has he has a right to ownership. He has a dujer right to ownership. He he has a legal right to ownership of the earth because he is the creator. So therefore, he has that legal right of uh, of owning the earth. And this is important to understand because he goes and he says, "The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein." We need to understand something here theologically, and this plays out both uh, physically and then also spiritually at the same time. And that is a couple things. One is that God is the owner, the rightful owner, the duger, the legal owner of the earth. He has the title, the deed to every area upon the earth. He really does own the earth, okay? He has the, the rightful ownership of all of the land. The second thing I want you to realize is that property and property rights is something that is incredibly important throughout Scripture. In fact, it really starts that way in Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3. Chapter 1, we see the creation account. Chapter 2, we see God's dealing with man, and we see that, that once again here, um, private property and this idea of property and the rights of property comes into play because God gives mankind 
the garden and he says, look, you can have of all of the trees of the garden, but this one tree, I want you to realize something. It's not yours. It's mine. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God ends up evicting them from this property uh, later on, and we find that in chapter 3, because they violated the property rights, and they went and they stole, they took something that was not theirs, they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why do I bring this all up? Because from the very beginning we see this, and we can actually see this all throughout Scripture, we see all of these concepts of actual physical land that God is caring about, and he's attaching righteousness and sin to. Righteousness, I wish we had more time to really dive into this, but righteousness in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is tending the garden, going and working, and going and subduing, going and having dominion over these things. These were righteous things. Uh, of course, then we go and we see the, the the wicked things that happened, and that was the violation of property rights, and that was through uh, theft and through covetousness and taking stuff that, that wasn't yours. But there was also this obvious division here. These trees are yours. This tree is mine. Here we see that God states in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness and the world and all those who dwell therein. But we also know at the same time, if we were to go to the New Testament here uh, in the book of Ephesians, I believe is where it is, where uh, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. We see that uh, that, that, that Satan, um, we, we find in... Um, 1 John, where it goes and it says that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. We, we, we see this concept that though God is the owner of the earth, Satan has some dominion. Satan has some dominion. But what does that mean for you and me as Christians? Well, Scripture also tells us that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ— if you've repented of your sins, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important to understand because I think that a lot of times we get this wrong. We go and we read that passage and we see, okay, uh, be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Okay, we're, we're supposed to go and to be uh, an ambassador. And um, so now it's a choice whether I'm going to be an ambassador or I'm not. And hopefully I choose right. You know, that's how I think most Christians handle that passage, but that's not actually what the passage says. The passage goes and says that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And so the question is not, are you going to be one or are you not going to be one? The question is, is are you a good ambassador or a bad ambassador? That's the reality of it. Either you're a good ambassador who's going in, propping up Jesus Christ, showing the world Jesus Christ, representing Jesus Christ, or you're a bad one. Now, of course, um, amb ambassadors are attached to embassies. You don't really have an ambassador without an embassy. The embassy is the church. That's that's the thing. But it's actually, the, there's a physical aspect to the church. So many times we go and we say that the church is not the building, which is is generally true in a sense there, that a, a, a building that's there, nope, that doesn't make it a church just because there's a building that's there. But the church, the ecclesia, it's an assembly, and assembly requires a shared time and space. I'm moving through this really quickly, and I know a lot of times this doesn't get covered, but I want to I come to a point here. I want to make a point here with this passage. 
And, and so we, we need to understand something here in order to have a shared time and space that does actually require physical property. And oftentimes that includes a building, especially if you live in a state like I do in Iowa, where you get things like negative 30 degree weather, you're going to need a building in order to go and meet. Uh, though there's plenty of cornfields, you wouldn't want to go and meet out in the cornfield, whether it's 110 degrees in August or whether it's negative 30 degrees in December or whether it's raining in all the months in between. It, it, it's one of those things that you, you come to realize that there actually is a value, not just physically, but spiritually and inside of God's economy to have physical property, to have actual land. And God says the earth, that's not a spiritual word here that he's using. He's using a physical word. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Where is the application for this? Well, it means as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we need to be going and claiming the most physical land we can possibly claim for Jesus Christ. And part of that means going and changing the institutions that you're within. If you're in a job that is not Christian in nature, you need to be going and winning people to Jesus Christ so that that building that you work in becomes Christian because of the culture changed around it. If you're a business owner, you need to be going and putting a purpose where your business is for Jesus Christ. Of course, here, let me say this. If you're somebody who goes to a church that the church uh, doesn't have physical property, perhaps you're in a house. You, you know, I'm, I'm not going to come out here and bash a church that's in a house as long as the goal is to go and to create an embassy for Jesus Christ. You, you know, it's okay if it starts in a house, but it shouldn't go and stay in a house. It's that idea of it's okay to go and to have a diaper, to wear a diaper when you're a, a, a baby, but you don't want to go and to continue to wear a diaper when you're 20 years old. That would not be good. That that would uh, end up being being embarrassing and gross. You don't want to do that. That's the same idea of a house church. There needs to be going and having actual maturity where it gets outside of the house and creates an, em an, an embassy. But also this means that in your own physical home, what things have you set up in your house that you are going and telling others who enter through your doors, this land is actually Jesus Christ. This land is Jesus Christ. You know, when people walk in your house, they ought to know this is Jesus's land. And I'm going to make sure that this land is used for Jesus Christ. That's how you need to be approaching this because the earth is God's. He has the right title. He has the right deed. And one day he will cash in on that. And as an ambassador for him, he wants you to do it for him that way and not when Jesus comes back with a sword. Because that's the way he goes and does it forcefully. He wants to go and have you do it willingly because then there is a reward. What does it say here in verse 5? And he shall uh, receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Now, this, of course, is coming from the realization that everything is God's. I want to go to the hill of God, the holy hill of God. That means I'm going to go and, and, and have clean hands not be habitually sinning outwardly, and a pure heart, not be habitually sinning inwardly, not lifting up my soul to an idol, meaning I have my priorities right and God is at the top, not nor sworn deceitfully. That means I'm a truth speaker, not a lie teller. And then it comes here and it says that there is a blessing that comes from that. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness 
from the God of his salvation. Well, this all comes from realizing that everything is God's. Getting your heart right so that you can have an intimate relationship with God. And of course, that means that then you're going to get blessings. And I always like to ask this because a lot of times I feel like people are like resistant to the blessings of God. But but would you rather have a blessing from God or a cursing from God? Of course, we want to be blessed by God. So let's walk in this kind of obedience. Use the land that God gives you for him as an ambassador. Go and win that land for Jesus Christ, the land that you have contact with. Win it for Jesus Christ. But there's a phrase here that's stated twice, and I just want to touch on this briefly, and this is what we'll end on. And you can see this here in verse uh, 8 and in verse 10, but it says this, Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And then it also says in verse 8, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Well, who is the King of glory? It's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. We looked at that here just a few days ago. The Lord of armies, he is the king of glory. And we see here along with him is that he is strong and mighty, and he is mighty in battle. When we stop and we realize who God is, it all makes sense that it all really is God's, and it all makes sense then that we should live with clean hands, a pure heart, not giving ourselves over to idols, having the right priority, and that we should not be a liar, but somebody who tells the truth. And therefore, with the area of ground that our feet come in contact with, we should be seeking to win it for Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for listening today, and remember Joshua 1, 8, 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, wherever you go. And while we trust in Jesus, sometimes he leaves us waiting for his hand to move. But even in darkness, we hold to the promise There's nothing we can't overcome So that war you've been fighting will end in God's timing Sing like the battle's been won Then you feel it, the song that is rising Then you can't help but let it out If you're trusting in faith is all